You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the NHS. I'm Alex Inace, and I help connect digital leaders in the NHS with interim talent, and I'm your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organization. I am joined by three esteemed leaders within the NHS. Um, So, Andrew, do you want to start? Can you tell us a bit more about your your role and the position within within the NHS? Okay. Yes, I'm I'm Andrew Pope. And up until about a month ago, I was the IT director for Royal Brompton and Harefield Hospitals. But as a result of the merger with Guys and St Thomas's and the fact that they're doing they're rolling out a big um, epic electronic patient record solution for the part uh, about a month ago I moved over to the Apollo program so I'm now the technical director uh, responsible for rolling out um, well every, everything technical with regard with regard to the uh, the new um, epic electronic patient record solution which is being rolled out to guys and St Thomas's and Royal Brompton uh, early next year and then also to King's College Hospital later on in the year amazing perfect Anthony, do you want to go next? Hi there, I'm Anthony Harper. Um, I'm the Assistant Director for ICT um, for Data and Applications at Great Ormond Street Hospital. Um, so my remit within within the trust itself covers um, our enterprise applications, our clinical digital content, and also um, interoperability. Amazing, perfect. Susan? And I'm Susan McGregor. I'm the IT and informatics lead for the North Thames Genomics Laboratory Hub, uh, which covers uh, seven health trusts. And we are basically providing whole genome sequencing um, across the the seven organisations. Amazing. Perfect. Well, thank you all for your introductions. Um, I think it's best if we start with Susan's question. Should we start with yours, Susan? Uh, well, for, for me, I mean, I think they kind of intertwine an awful lot. You know, where I always get worried is about having, um, you know, the single truth of something. So uh, uh, one of the things that has worried me considerably more recently has been the fact that um, here at, um, gosh, we use Beaker in genomics. Um, but when I've done some end-to-end process mapping, what I've discovered is is what many of the technical parts, especially in bioinformatics, have done is build lots of little systems. So they're going in and out all the time of the core system, which means they're they're technically breaking using the workflow, and 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 then using manual systems, often spreadsheets or of small little systems and then what you've got the risk of is that you you actually could be duplicating data or you could be missing data and I think this is a significant risk in, in this this time and age so what I've done to sort of try and resolve it is actually do an end-to-end process review so I can understand is it that the beaker part of epic doesn't give them what they need is that why they're bypassing it or is it habit? Because sometimes what I've realised is with clinical scientists, they kind of have a way of doing things and that's the way they've always done it. So that's the way they're always going to do it. So I'm also challenging them. So I am. Um, 
so far I've spent um, a day at sample reception and DNA extraction, which was riveting to say the least. But what it did show me was that on a single DNA sample within those two processes, they checked the barcode in excess of 12 times and then we're entering on spreadsheets in parallel to being on epic which shows me a direct duplication and i think if we're doing that in, on a major system like which beaker's part of epic then there's lessons we need to learn on other systems that we don't keep this duplication of data anthony what are your thoughts so that's interesting, Susan, because obviously there's there's a lot of optimization that can be done as part of one of the big AHRs such as Epic in relation to the actual kind of workflows that we have. Um, but there's there's also, as you say, a part of this is will be habitual um, workflows that have kind of as legacy systems have been moved across and migrated, people have carried on those actual specific workflows. What we need to do in situations like that is, as you say, like you've you've gone through the process and normally you'd have a BA that would go through that work and have an understanding of how um, everything hangs together. There are other possibilities utilizing integration that you could do in order to kind of facilitate some of the messaging being transferred across to those disparate systems that you've got. Um, and that's where you said obviously this kind of covers into other questions that we've got later on. Um, but it, it, it's a larger piece that we have to look at because a lot of these larger systems, EHRs, um, whether it be Epic or Cerner or one of the other providers, um, they've, they've got some work to do in relation to delving into those workflows. And that's something that we, we should be working with them moving forward in order to facilitate the requirements that we have here in the UK. And also there'll be lessons, Andrew, I expect you'll find if you work on Apollo to make sure that you look at the processes you're implementing and that Epic gives you what you actually need and not, if you like, um, reinforcing bad habit. Yeah, I must admit it's quite worrying actually when you say about Beaker because I think out of all the out of all the modules that was uh, that um, the whole guys and St Thomas's group selected um, from Epic, Beak was one of those ones that was sort of shall we, shan't we? And it's come in a little bit at the eleventh hour. And you know, as Anton, as you know from when you were working at uh, Brom, certainly at Brompton and Airfield, pathology have got so many, so many old systems, some of which are very, very difficult to upgrade. Um, I think one of the things that does concern me is the speed at which um, on when you're rolling out something like Epic, the speed at which everybody goes through so looking at the workflows, trying to establish, so which systems are we going to replace? And I, I do sometimes think we're just sort of tip of the iceberg because, you know, you, you, you take something like Brompton and Harefield, which is a relatively small hospital, there's 300 known application systems um, not all managed by IT. I think you've got about something like 75, 80 are managed by IT and the rest of what I would call shadow IT. Um, and then you've got Epic, which is, you know, a very expensive electronic healthcare solution, which is probably only replacing about 10 to 15 of those applications. So you've still got a lot of workflow that is possibly not being addressed by 
putting in something like Epic. And also, as you say, it's it is that it's that nice to have information. People are people are used to working on spreadsheets, so they're used to pulling down bits of data. They'll manipulate it. They'll then go and put it back into the core system. And then you can't guarantee have they actually missed anything as well. Does that answer your question, Susan? Yeah, it, it does because it, it it's it's I think it's the it's it's the it's the thing we've always experienced. And I think the biggest problem you touched on there, Andrew, as well as the shadow IT. Because the problem is the ones you know about is great. You can maybe look at things you can do about them, but how many are out there you don't know about? And I certainly know for gosh that there are there are probably quite a few out there we uh, are finding out about, but haven't necessarily got a handle on all of them. And I think for me, it's almost like going back to basics and understanding what you're trying to achieve as your workflow from beginning to end, what would solve that, and then challenging why things are in place where you can. It's not as easy as it sounds, though, I will add. <laughs> no, it all, all almost seems that what, what you want to do is you just want to you want to put a stop to everything. And then you just want to spend, put a lot of resource, a lot of time, a lot of effort into just analysing absolutely everything end to end, what you can cut out, what you can, what you can change. But the, but the problem is all these systems are live systems and to a certain extent it is a little bit like herding cats as well because you don't actually, you know, you look at, you, you might look at a workflow one month and then you'll go back the following month and because someone perhaps have been off ill or been on holiday you haven't seen that bit of process and they come back and they've got their own little bit of process that they use yeah it's uh anything you want to add anthony it's a difficult it's a difficult one to tackle um the 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 shadow it pieces as as susan knows something that's um, close to my heart um pertaining to how we actually kind of get hold of and manage those 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 disparate systems and legacy systems that have been retained around organizations because i don't think it's just something pertinent to ourselves it's something that um is pertinent to the wider nhs and the way in which um, applications have been brought in in the past um the way in which we manage them moving forward especially in the in the digital age as we as we try to have this single version of the truth means that we need to have a better understanding of how those previous workflows have have been developed, but also how they can be incorporated um, and take take our um, stakeholders on the journey with us, because it's important for them to be um, not only consulted, but engaged in the process. Um, and, and I think that's important for us to be able to state, OK, look, we're trying to get this single version of the truth, not just to um, facilitate any kind of IT objectives, but to facilitate um, greater collaboration and easier workflows for them moving forwards. Okay. I think it's best for now we go to Andrew's question on single truth. My question was probably fairly simple, really, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So like, it's it's really moving on from um, what Susan was says about you know how do we actually ensure the single version of the truth? I suppose I'd sort of sort of say you know you know how do we reduce the number of applications that users log on to so that you've got a fewer systems as possible. And I suppose you know this is. This is where it'd be interesting actually to find out from Gosh, you know, you've 
you when did you roll epic out about a year or so ago was it so great ormond street well obviously i wasn't here at the time andrew but great ormond street rolled out epic in 2019 so um this this will be our third year that we're we're now utilizing the platform so how have people found it there have they found that you know yes i know there's there's always there's there's the shadow it and everything but have they found that by reducing you know, you know combining things like their old patient administration systems their old their old electronic patient record systems the hard copy you know, the 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 document control systems and the paper systems have they found that it's actually easier now to find that single version of the truth so you always find um, pockets of um, individuals that were kind of really attached to their previous systems um, yeah. but on a whole um, they've, they've definitely identified that utilizing epic as an ehr has oh, facilitated wow. that um, single version of truth greatly um, we've got obviously more of that data in one location for people to be able to kind of work on and make those clinical decisions rather than hopping between um, various systems logging in logging out all of the all of the kind of issues that you find with that um, obviously there there are certain things whereby those kind of niche um, clinical systems that were previously utilized may have had a piece of functionality that um, was specifically um, useful um, for for their workflows but um, I'd say in the whole epic has certainly made a made a change for that single version of truth um, at Great Ormond Street I, I don't know how you feel about that Susan I mean, yes, I would agree. I mean, if I if I look at the two areas that I cover, which is rare disease and cancer, um, cancer, and particularly as Royal Marsden's coming on to use Beaker as well, the last part, of certainly the the early stages I've looked at, is they have automated it in in Epic, and they're quite on board with that. Um, and this is the Gosh Cancer team, which is a smaller team. Um, and what I'm trying to do is trying to get that kind of dialogue going between the cancer and the rare disease, because rare disease is bigger at GOSH than cancer, but they've done things their own way for a lot longer. And what I would say there is there is there is an appetite for clinical scientists to do more specialist work and less admin work. And what's actually happened because of these systems is a lot of these very clever people are doing an awful lot of admin. And I actually think that, that the idea of actually being able to automate that actually does excite them. And we've got a whole new organisation coming together. We've got a new chief operating officer in our GLH. We've got some you know, new blood coming in. And I think now is the time to, to drive that forward. And there seems to be an appetite to, to be more efficient and do things better. Also, we can't get the clinical scientists. There's not enough out there. What we have got, we lose, you know, in similar ways that we've lost some of the technical people from our um, EPIC team. Not saying where they went, but they, you know, they did move on. But at the same time, we've got to develop that capability so that we can be more efficient. And anything that does have to remain as an administration type activity is done by a more appropriate grade rather than a, you know a clinical scientist is an eight something you know it could be even up to a nine and you know what on earth are they doing you know updating a spreadsheet you know 
but then I could say that about my role sometimes, but that's another matter. But you no, know, so I actually do think because we can't get the clinical scientists, there is an appetite appetite now to actually do more and make Beaker work better for us. Additionally, we now have a national forum of which people from your organisation and you're involved as well, um, where we're looking at how we can pull together to get more from Beaker, because Northern Ireland are going on to Epic as well, Belfast is. So there's more and more of us out there. And I think if we can, as, as, a, as a bigger group, if we find there's features that I just aren't there, which is why there's alternatives being used. Let's use the group to push the agenda with, you know, a big organisation like Epic. Yeah, actually, it's interesting because I was I asked this question of Epic the other day. I didn't really get my, an answer, and it I was sort of I was using that old SAP term, agile terminology of the wish list, and I said, you know, when users. Uh, you, when users start using Epic and they come up with a wish list for, wouldn't it be nice if it did X or Y? Does that work? Does that work quite well with Epic? Because because my because if it doesn't, you've got that danger of people then go off like like they currently do, where they they solutionize. So they think, well, my current my current patient administration system doesn't do what I want let's have a look at the open market and before you know it they've found a solution so it's just interesting to find out can, can you is is there much I mean, you, you, is, is, yeah. but i know there are uh, there are elements that are configurable that we can do with the team we've got but is it is if there's something fundamental i think that's when we might need the power because if you look at beaker as a as a tool it is probably more it's not really a genetics tool uh, and we're making it do something slightly different yeah yes so that that so just on genetics i i know i've had discussions um as i as i said to you susan with um the epic team in relation to beaker and the associated i know it's used it's a limbs a pathology limb specifically held within epic but um, they are looking to create a genetics module. So that's something that we've spoken to them about. They've recognized that is a gap in the actual solution and they've gone away and they're working on um, their own, their own essentially provision for, for that area. Um, in general, Andrew, um, Epic, Epic have several modules. It's a modular based um, program. So when you're looking at um, various aspects that you want to take, whether it would be a PAS or whether it be cardiac or um, their pharmacy system, you've got options. But there are, as we said before, with Brompton's 300 plus applications, there are applications that fall between those kind of niche gaps and areas. Um, and that will mean that you still retain or will end up retaining those um, those specialist applications. And it's just about how they work into the workflow. Um, you can have those conversations with Epic and we've had several conversations with them about expanding the actual um, capabilities of certain of the of the modalities. And they've been open to that and we've, we've had conversations, but that's something that um, you'd need to have on a kind of case by case basis. Um, but yeah, they've, they've always been open to that and that should facilitate moving forward and reducing down those number of applications. So you have, at the end of the day, the single version of truth that we're, we're looking to move towards. Um, 
but yeah that that's something that needs to be identified as you work through the program yeah and i suppose that's where you know if you got the engagement with from the from the clinical user uh sort of community and they're part of that yeah, so they they can input into that, and they can also see that yes, things are being done. They're getting the, they're getting their solutions. As long as it all gets turned around in a timely fashion, I think we should you know there should be improvements. The day the danger always comes where it goes a little bit too slowly. Um, next minute they've all gone off to an exhibition, found some shiny new little tool that sort of you know the amount of people that come to it, oh I found this fantastic app. You think, really, you know, and, and who develops it? I don't really know. You know, it's Fred in his shed and uh, it should be fine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you, when you start to say, you know, when you start doing things like, so you've done a, a full DPIA sort of, you know, information governance yeah, assessments government. and you've done a full cyber assessment on it. You know, it's, yeah, of course they haven't, you know. And, uh, yeah, so oh, I should be, uh, to, yeah, look, looking forward to getting uh, to getting more into Epic and hopefully reducing these numbers of systems. Yeah, well, it will, it, it's a transition period. Like Gosh's, Gosh's, um, the teams here have done brilliantly in working through that 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 process. And obviously, there it's not all complete. There are still optimizations ongoing, um, but um, it's certainly, I'd say, a worthwhile endeavor in order to be able to um, facilitate that that all-encompassing EHR that we're trying to work towards. Does that answer your question, Andrew? Yeah, I think it does, yeah. So it's uh, so we're just going to basically follow what Anthony's done. He's three years ahead of us and... Uh, <laughs> don't, don't, say, don't say what I've done. I, 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 I inherited a good situation, let's put it that way. Yeah. And don't get any <laughs> ideas about trying to poach him back. No, no. <laughs> Well, should we go to your question then, Anthony? Uh, thanks, Alex. Um, so yeah, my question was, um, why is um, HL7 Fire important? Um, and um, how will the ICSs become interconnected? Which is more of a kind of um, kind of follow-up question on the back of that, looking at the interoperability side of things. Um, so essentially, um, with everything that we've been talking about, single version of truths and kind of looking at harnessing that from an interoperability perspective, um, because um, FHIR enables um, EHRs to expose their um, FHIR APIs, um, which is essentially a mechanism for other systems to interact with the EHR and exchange data. Um, so the standardization of the FHIR APIs, I don't know who's listening, but APIs are essentially application programming interface, um, enables defined mechanisms to read and write data. Um, so with, with the actual utilization of FHIR, and there's been um, concepts of smart on fire since I think it was around 2014, um, whereby a smart is essentially the suitable medical apps and reusable technologies. And that facilitates developers to write an app once and essentially run it anywhere within a healthcare system. And um, being able to utilize that to pull out the data from an EHR, once you do have that single version of truth that we were alluding to earlier, then means you've got a much richer data set to be able to utilize. Um, and because of the way that um, this is being used, um, Fire is suited to mobile applications and the APIs enable data um, to replace point-to-point -point interfaces with essentially um, a one-to-many relationship. So that will suit mobile applications, 
um, mobile devices, uh, medical devices, um, and patient wearables, which is something that we're we're looking at, at Gosh now. Um, following on from obviously, um, we've been working with Epic for some time. We've got that data in place, and we're now looking to harness that by utilizing um, Fire and building out those Fire APIs to facilitate that interoperability and have that richer data set. Um, in my opinion. Um, and in the opinion of many, um, fire should be what we push our third parties to utilize now. Um, and if they, well, if they're not already capable of doing so, um, it's one of the most popular protocols um, for um, connecting disparate systems and sharing data in a secure manner. And because of that standardization, it should be easily replicable. Um, it's something that um, we're we're pushing for from a development perspective and for anything that we're kind of moving forward with. Uh, we're talking to our vendors about. Um, are they do they have fire apis are they utilizing fire um what what ones are available and we're also working with epic about how we move that forward as well okay who wants to go first i was actually it's very interesting we have a national agenda around interoperability for genetics and genomics as a whole and they have said exactly what you've just said is fire uh, which is causing a few areas that have gone more down the MPEX or HL7 messaging some concerns, but they are including it, but as a not preferred, is fire is the preferred scenario moving forward and actually getting those APIs in place. And because, you know, for us, it's about as well being able to share things nationally. So, it, you know, that ability to flow information is very, very important. Yeah, so fire fire builds upon those previous HL7 standards. Um, so it's not it's not that it's completely incomparable. Um, it's just it provides you with a richer data set that you're able to utilize. So for instance, from a um, from a genetics perspective, let me think of a use case. Um, rather than having um, rather than having one kind of patient associated with that HL7 message and um, the associated um, fields that you pull across whether your ADT messages and everything else that you've hold, held within the associated fields. Um, with FIRE, it looks at it kind of from a resource perspective, and therefore you can have multiple patients. So if you're looking at kind of familial links um, from a genetics perspective, that's where I could probably see um, a utilization case um, for how you're able to utilize um, the data moving forwards. So that there's, there's, there's several ways that it could be utilized. Um, it's just how 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 those national national schemes that you're working on, um, Susan, see fit to move forward with it. There'll, there'll there'll certainly be use cases. There certainly will be. I mean, we have to be honest. When we're talking nationally, when you're talking about NHS England and Genomics England, they're never quick. Um, but um, they have got to a point whereby now they have uh, they are publishing that the standards they wish to adopt and how they wish them to be used. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll make sure obviously I share that. Um, but I think they're, they're, we're at a point now where I think it's almost like they realise to go to the next step, they've got to do something slightly different. And the whole thing about genomics is about the ability to look at the wider them, you know, familiar matches and things and, and you know, and you've got clinical genetics looking at phenotypes or whatever, but actually if we can 
communicate better on some of these things and, and, and share that data nationally, it could be quite powerful. Yeah, and, and, and fire certainly should be able to kind of facilitate that as a, from an interoperability perspective. That's the that's the whole concept that you're able to obviously harness the data that's within your EHR and then utilize that with those disparate systems that are still um, out there that we're utilizing. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I suppose the other thing as well is, you know, back on a local level, I know you 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 know you, you mentioned about, you know, will the ICSs become more interconnected? You know, and again, my understanding is the old care quality commission groups have now deemed that we're now going to have these is it integrated care systems or so, I think yeah. Exactly. So so my understanding is you know you you take London. London itself, my understanding is only going to be five ICSs. I think two south of the river, three north of the river. So straight away, even with you know the guys and the guys in St Thomas's group is southeast London. So yes, they're going to have within the next sort of couple of years, they'll have epic rolled out. So you've got Brompton and Harefield, you've got guys in St Thomas's and King's College. Yep, they're on one EHR. But then, of course, what you then got is you've got you've still got a load of other hospitals, even just within even just within that geographical area, which have all got different um electronic healthcare records now yeah to me that you got you got you got two choices you either you either then roll out epic that the, the fact that entire ics which could be quite expensive bearing in mind you might have got another you might have got another hospital that has just invested you know millions in something like cerna or something like that so Indeed. so if you can get that interoperability at least even just in a local area it will help because you know I've sort of seen that from experience when you talk to patients um, there's always that classic thing of you know quite often patients get moved get moved around an ICS and what what will quite often happen is they'll see a consultant in hospital number one but then when they go to hospital number two there's absolutely no way they can even link information they can't look at basic sort of they can't look at basic PACS images there, so there, there's all that. There's a lot of inefficiency there, and I suppose the the final piece there again with with the whole ICS is, it'll be interesting with the with the general practitioner systems, the likes of System One and EMIS, because class because typically they haven't released their APIs. Now I, wanna, I don't know if they are going to release their APIs, but I know certainly when I worked on System One was it about two or three years ago, end up having to use robotic process automation to avoid having lots and lots of manual data being entered in. So, uh, yeah, so definitely from a from an interoperability perspective, Andrew, um, Fire Fire should look to well both the integration engine and the utilization of Fire for. Um, for those um, actual integrations should help to um, facilitate more integrated care for patients by transferring that information between um, those EHRs. Um, I don't I don't see a reason why people would need to obviously all consolidate onto one platform. Um, but what we would say, well, what I would say is there are programs that um, are already running such as one London and also as you say the ICS is individually they're looking into those um, those various interoperability um, pieces so 
we're looking at um, HIE from an NCL perspective, also digital pathology and um, digital imaging. So they're, they're kind of three work streams in particular. There are others um, that we're looking at. And um, from an interoperability perspective, um, moving forward with the messaging side of things, transferring that information between those sites is going to be um, integral. Um, it will provide staff with more access to see patient relevant history, um, increase the ability for staff to make informed, well, staff and patients, because as we move forward, patients are able to see more and more of their um, clinical information, um, able enable them to make informed decisions. Um, but from a, from a kind of GP perspective, um, it should certainly assist in enhancing the scope of primary and secondary care, um, because that messaging, as long as obviously those APIs are, are made visible and we're able to work with them, um, should definitely facilitate in um, enabling greater, greater information workflow between ourselves, tertiary, quaternary, quaternary services. What are your thoughts, Susan? We're never going to have one system. That is the that is just never, never, ever going to happen. As much as we might think it would, it, it won't. Even within my smaller world of genomics, every organisation is using different things. So the only way to do it is by that that this interoperability, this communication between them, because. Not all, you know, you're, you're you're some small, you know, small little trust, I don't know, Colchester, for example, where I live. You may not be able to have in any way the budget to, to look at something as big as, as Epic. You might have to something like quite a bit, you know, smaller and more basic. So, then, you know, it, it is the only way forward because, and also, can you imagine trying to, you know, if you look at what Andrew's got trying to migrate, the, the organisations he has, you know, onto Epic, and then you times that by like hundreds. It's, it's just physical. We, we, we've done it all, they'll found something new. So it will never happen. So you have to be about communication between those systems. It is the only way forward. Yeah. Andrew? Yeah, no, I'm with Susan. It's, you know, you're, you're never going to get one, you're, you're you know, you're never going to get one big system so i think the way forward is i i think with these ics's if these ics's can work together a little bit better then hopefully you'll get that better flow of information within the ics and then they can share the, and then there again you can then share the data and i, I suppose the other thing i suppose i suppose it's to think well i suppose i suppose there's two things here aren't there there's in general, if a patient is on a patient care journey, they'll probably stay within their ICS. So, as I say, I'm only saying in general. So at least that information can be shared. But then, can then of course the other thing, like like that you've got, Susan, you've got a lot. You know, you've got that genomics data, which is is good quality research data that you want to start sharing with with lots of other people and I know even then I know even in Brompton I was sort of talking to to people whereby um, you know they, they've come up with some fantastic schemes and some fantastic ideas and they are literally sharing spreadsheet data between each other uh, or they're emailing each other and this is you know 
and and this isn't this isn't just nice to have data this is actually data that will help solve you know major problems like you know help help us help us help us sort of you know look at different how we're going to tackle different cancers different different types of sort of heart disease so it's not just it's not just sort of research people just doing stuff thinking this is a nice idea to have this is this is sort of you know i suppose it's I suppose it, one of them I was talking to, it was almost on a par with the with the national breast screening program. There, I don't know how that's been done, but it seems like there is a, there is a successful sort of uh, set of information that is actually captured on a national basis. But there's lots and lots of other schemes like that, which are just being cobbled together by sort of individual people in individual hospitals that have got a passion for driving things forward. So I think it's like all, you know, like all these things, if we can make their lives easier and also it's back to this whole single version of the truth again, isn't it? The last thing you want is these different spreadsheets of information and they miss on some and 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 some of these research people, they may be missing on that on that next sort of, you know, eureka moment where they can then move on in leaps and bounds. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of ours is clinical because what we've looked at is we can actually start seeing how certain genes are present in someone, how it flows through. And actually it's bigger than national, it's international, some of what we're doing. So, you know, that's that's another agenda. We're not going there yet. Yeah. <laughs> in years to come, I can put it, I will say within five years, they'll be pushing to go international on more and more of this. And and just just to just to stay on that point, and that's why it's important for that information to be held um, in an EHR or something of that nature um, in order for rather than spreadsheets or old access legacy systems that we've got in place. Um, it's important so that you can have something such as a kind of simple fire request um, that we can, can return either one field of information like patient hospital number, but we can do that generally. But you can use fire to um, process requests of bundles of information for whether it be care plans, like you said, Andrew, or all of the medication or all data on the patient in the EHR. So you can utilize it to bundle that information um, via those requests for those resources. Um, so I, I think it's an important way forward that we we need to be um, engaging with um, our third party suppliers in order to take them on that journey with us. It's been around for. I think fire originally came around around about 2010, 2011, um, but it's only really kicked off in the past five years. And um, I feel when we're recruiting now into the roles that we've got in our kind of interoperability area where we're looking to kind of provide that training and get people moving forward with fire so that we can we can essentially harness the ability that we've got. It's become pretty much essential now to have fire when looking to go into, into interoperability. Just saying from a recruiter's background. Yeah. Yeah, no, most definitely. Most definitely. It's 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 what we're looking for. It's what most people will be looking for moving forwards. Um and it it's something that's important to to be able to facilitate those things such as patient wearables and um, with some of the work that Susan's doing um, from a from a genetics perspective and from a kind of digital research perspective. Yeah. In terms of ICS is becoming inter interconnected, what are your thoughts around around that? Obviously we got one London, 
who's working with the five ICSs and with London Ambulance Services. But how can we, and obviously this, this is a blueprint currently being collaborated by them. You know, we have the data sharing framework that's been sort of been doing at the moment, but it's not finalized yet. How do we take that to a national scale to get all, all the 40 or the, I think there's 42 ICSs connected? Well, it's, 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 a, it's a governance piece initially. Um, um, always having those conversations around suitable governance, you'd have to have that for kind of data sharing and integration anyway. Um, but the, that's always like one of the first hurdles that needs to be addressed. But um, I think there's 42 ICSs at the moment or somewhere yeah, 42. around 42, I think it's 42. Um, so um, I would say once once you've once you've got past the the governance issues pertaining to those data sharing, it's around what kind of data and what work is being conducted at the associated hospitals, um, because that 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 will be important in understanding and being able to facilitate what information you want to share. So it it would need to be an understanding of how we share the information firstly, but also what they're utilising it for in the in the wider wider patient care. Susan, why your thoughts? I also thought it was something that we've had we've gone through obviously in part of this is patient consent as well. We can't forget that and and, and it's an important element of that because if we're going to use their data, they have to be part of that. We can't just because it's like <laughs> you know they find out we're doing something with the data and we haven't shared it. Indeed. Well legally this would be a minefield, but we, I mean, we actually have across our genomics area uh, a data sharing agreement, and we do have a consent form that patients have to sign before we progress things through. Um, but what if we get bigger and bigger? How do we manage that? How do we audit it and control it? That that's a bit of a concern at the moment because we've got this generic one that means anywhere in any of the different separate seven hubs we can share between each other. Well, actually, there is a risk there that we might be getting a bit, bit ahead of ourselves and we maybe need to review that data sharing agreement and whether it's it needs to be updated. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was a bit, a bit like yourself, actually, Susan. I was thinking you can't get ahead of yourself too quickly. And also there's got to be a bit of a cultural change because at the moment it's quite difficult to share information not only within a hospital but within a range of hospitals so to try to to try to take it on on a on a national scale i think is is quite difficult you know i know you know i know you know a lot of the london hospitals do work with each other and it's like brompton Harefield just been working very closely with royal marsden but it's taken a long time and I think there's a lot of cult there there's a lot of cultural change has got to be has got to has, has got to come first before you can do this on a on a national scale. But most definitely, yeah. The, those when when you do have those combined trusts, um, there is there is always that cultural change in that bedding in period. Um, but it, it was just obviously when I posed the question and we're thinking, OK, from a London centric perspective, we're thinking, OK, look at one London as a concept. Um, there's that there's that broader piece whereby you've got those tertiary and quaternary hospitals where such as Royal Bronton, whereby you've got um, you're a specialist in heart and lung and therefore you take referrals from all around the, the country, globally even, um, whereby you need to be able to have that integration with those other 
hospitals and being able for those systems to be able to talk to one another rather than good old snail mail or people emailing things as they shouldn't be but all, all sort of kind of things that we can look to facilitate by harnessing technology i think that would obviously kind of facilitate that moving forward i understand obviously that there, there's challenges around the governance the the patient consenting having all of the understandings that we need to have in order to facilitate um the interconnection but it can only help with um the end of the day patient care and that that that's what we're we're trying to facilitate but i i certainly i certainly hope that that's the that's the way that we're able to look at things moving forwards anyway